Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. Hey everyone, this is Behind the Scenes with Brian, and this is Brian, and I am joined today by a uh, fellow tailings expert, Chris Hatton. Chris, how are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Good, good. Yeah, we're coming to the close of the year 2020, and I think most of us will be happy to have this year behind us, and you know, with the lockdown and all that, so are you... Uh, of the uh, virus i mean uh, how are you surviving during this pandemic uh doing well i think um it's uh it's it's been an adventure i think you know it's thank goodness for the internet i think um having a robust internet has really provided us um a way of communicating and it's it's been a step step change in in how we communicate so i think you know nobody knew what zoom was you know a year ago yeah and, uh, you know it's a matter of practice now so i think there's some i think there's some really positive things that are that are coming out of it but yeah it has been a challenge yeah it has forced us to kind of fast forward some of our uh, remote work and, and figure out do you really need to be there you know i think we're going to save quite a few airplane flights where you know it used to be 15 people had to gather around a desk for a four hour meeting. And I'm thinking, you know, and hotels and meals and all that. And I'm, I'm thinking that at least a significant number of those are just going to get changed to Zoom even after the pandemic is behind us. Yeah, it does. You know, the thing about all of this is it does concern me. You know, we're, you know, if you look at the, the uh, engineer of record and, and, you know, and, and integrating, you know, providing engineering services for, for the mining industry. I think we get comfortable that um, the engineer of record uh, or, or the uh, communications can be handled by, you know, over the phone and, and through Zoom meetings. And I, you know, there, there's certainly, there's certainly um, that ability, but, you know, an email isn't a phone call. You know, and a phone call is not person-person meeting, and yeah. you know, Zoom doesn't replace individual or you know human interaction, and you know, photographs and and drones and that sort of thing doesn't replace feet on the ground, and and the you know the human interaction and and the and that sort of thing is critical for our jobs. It's absolutely critical, and and I'm concerned that we're dehumanizing the the process, and I think what we're doing right now is there's a we have a bank account of experience. So we've been on these sites, interacted with these clients. And so we know a lot about the sites, but they are changing and, uh, and they're constantly changing. So we're sort of consuming this bank account of experience. And I think there's going to be a point where it's just, it's going to yield a really negative response. And the sooner that we can get out and meet with clients, the better, but that's sort of my overall take. Oh yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. There's a time and a place for everything. There's a time for, like you say, an email, a time for a phone call, a time to look at a drone flight, but yeah, having boots on the ground is definitely going to be required. And, and we are, 
losing time on some of these sites that should be visited. So you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. So Chris, tell us a little bit about about yourself. Uh, you know, your early days and your college career. Where'd you go to school and that sort of thing? So I, I actually I actually grew up in the business. Um, I am a third generation geotechnical engineer. Wow. Imagine that. I um, did my undergraduate and master's at uh, Colorado State University. I um, <clears throat> was uh, initially focusing on just general civil engineering and actually put myself through school working at the engineering research center, center in the um, hydraulic labs. I worked for Steve Apt and worked in the wind tunnels for with uh, with Cermak and or John Paterka and mm. uh, and those guys and. And then I went on to you know, get a master's um, in uh, civil engineering, focusing on geotechnical. And I um, hired on originally with Woodward Clyde Consultants out of uh, Denver. And uh, before that, I had been working as an engineering technician, uh, doing doing um, uh, fill control and that sort of thing, working in laboratories. And I had done that, you know, all through all through uh, college and actually somewhat in high school and hmm. uh started with woody clyde and then and then wrote woodward clyde through the acquisition by urs and aecom and here about five years ago was asked uh, by haley and Aldrich, which is a they're an east coast geotechnical firm yeah. uh, to uh start the denver office and so i i had to really embrace that opportunity and started their Denver office and then here huh. here uh, just recently left and I'm now senior program leader for Golder and Associates and um, my duties are are uh, range from you know raising elevating the brand um, developing young staff um, serving as an engineer of record for uh, active facilities and then providing review services both inside and outside of the company so I've got about 32 years of professional experience and uh, um, on numerous committees working through you know yeah what's going on with the engineer of record and that and that sort of thing i'm on a board with on the board with tailing uh we're focusing on you know developing talent uh within coming out of universities and that sort of thing yeah that's that's great and we definitely need the next generation to be coming up with good educations and, and well-rounded educations so that's uh, that's very generous of you to uh, to do that type of work. I think we're obligated. You know, I, I, I you know, as much as the, we take from the industry and it's provided for us, I think as engineers, I've always believed that we have to give back, and that means you know, reaching out to you know, whether it's grade school or public schools and volunteering, you know, for the science, promoting science and engineering in high school level, and then even in college. And when I travel, I actually am developing relationships here and overseas. And I try and, you know, do a guest lecture or something like that, that uh, meet with people and, and really get the word out that engineering is a excellent lifestyle and a, and a way to have a wonderful career. Yeah, 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 no, I couldn't agree more with you. So I, I actually wanted to talk to you more about the engineer record. It's a term that I think came into popular use just after the Mount Polly tailings disaster. But my, my brain keeps on saying that it went back farther than that. But I, I'm, I'm probably having 
false memories and no it's actually the the term engineer of record came out of the um structural engineering industry and and if you look at it if you look at the lineage you can actually take it back to like 1907 when the quebec bridge failed and and there's this recognition that you know of the responsibility that engineers have for their work and um you know and you have the order of the engineer and that sort of thing coming out of there but probably uh the most relevant is 1976 aise came up with the uh the code of standard practice and that's where the term engineer record actually came out and that was applied to, to structural engineers and and um and then you look at like the hyatt regency skywalk failure that killed 141 you know 141 people and that really elevated it it's uh the awareness and so the responsibility for responsibilities for the engineer of record uh, ASCE put some meat around that in, in uh, 1985 and then you, you know you 88 you've got the station square collapse and then following that you've got ASFE American Society for Foundation Engineers who ultimately became what is now GBA the Geoprofessional Business Association they uh, they established uh, practice guidelines for for the geotechnical engineer of record as we know it in, in our business and the army corps of engineers about that same time was providing guidance and then you also have florida the state of florida was putting um guidance out which are actually are quite good and those are fairly robust guidance and so um you see this transition into sort of the structural engineer of record and after mount poly 2014 you see uh, cda it was in the process of preparing uh, application for dam safety guidelines and they were able to actually take what they were well well completed and turn that around and that really um, includes a definition for for EOR engineer of record and then after Samarco you've got Mac stepping in and uh, putting some more meat about meat around it and then about that same time we had a, uh, a workshop in 2017 and coming out of that workshop we had it was a group of all of the geotechnical engineers not all but many of the geotechnical engineers working in the mining industry met in denver and coming out of that ultimately was uh was the uh, proposed best practices for engineer of record yeah i remember sitting in on that and it was amazing the collection of engineers that was in attendance for that it was it, it really was who's who of uh, people with, dec- uh, you know, a few decades of experience. Yeah. And the, and the thing about engineer of record, if you look at it for a structure, you know, you go in and you build, you build the structure, you're engineer of record, you're responsible for the design, you certify it, that sort of thing. And then you're done. The building just stands right. there. But you, right. you, you look at, you know, getting extracted out to, to water dams, you have you know EOR involvement through commissioning and then it and then it falls off well with tailing facilities you may get different permutations of construction you get expansion and that sort of thing and then the operation since they're living structures and construction is continuous the EOR's role you know continues on through the life of the structure which could be 10 years it could be 100 years you look at some of the legacy copper facilities in the southwestern U.S. and they go back a hundred years and so 
you look at the EOR responsibilities, you have something that's potentially generational um, yeah. and uh, yeah. is passed on from, from person to person. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, Chris, I think most people could agree on the term design engineer of record. It's the guy that puts his PE stamp on something. And after that, there's not necessarily an obligation for the mining company to retain that same individual, either through uh, construction or, or ongoing uh, monitoring or assistance or anything like that. But when when does an engineer and how does an engineer become an engineer of record? Well, that's, uh, yeah, you've actually kind of touched on, on two sort of similar but different things. So if you look at the design engineer well if you look at the engineer of record the the guidance right now that's fairly consistent coming through the global tailing standard and and others is that you need to have you need an engineering background um, and uh, education and you need 10 years of relevant application of your skills in in tailing facilities and with that um, you begin a progress uh, process of, of taking taking over, taking responsibility for uh, as the engineer of record. And so the engineer of record can be somebody that's actually within the company, preferably not, or outside the company. And they they carry the knowledge of the design and, and um, they're really integral to the dam safety program there. Um, you know they have again like i said they have advanced typically they have advanced degrees they're familiar with local regulations um things that they need to have are you know the ability to communicate and, and, and communicate complex ideas and civil engineering principles to you know people that are either non-engineers or in a different engineering you know background and, and one of the key things that's really progressively becoming more and more important is having a having a uh, very high emotional IQ, but they are ultimately, you know, they're ultimately a trusted advisor, part of a team that's responsible for the dam. And they, if you see, if you look at the mining industry, there's quite a bit of, I don't want to say attrition, but they promote people throughout the organization. They move, move, them, move, move from, them around, right? Yeah, yeah. Every two years or so. And so what the engineer of record does is they provide that continuity, you know, throughout the life, they yeah. understand the life of the facility. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the models for, you know, an engineer of record versus a design engineer of record, which would be just some company or person that's asked to do a specific task and then they're done with it. Um, the models that, that exist is uh, probably the most common and preferable would be, you know, the engineer of record is, is preparing the designs. And that way they're responsible for, you know, the development they understand the history of the site they understand what the overall goal is they understand you know the mining plans and that sort of thing and they tie all of that together there are instances uh where you have an engineer of record and you have a separate design engineer and that can be that's bred out of uh, either com competition and financial uh, cha uh you know challenges to the designer mm -hmm. or it's necessity because of lack of resources but it's a model that's really much more difficult because you have a design engineer that's going to stamp you know the drawings and certify it and then the engineer of record ultimately is responsible for it and there there's an there's an inherent frictional contractual relationship that, that can be a challenge and then the third model 
is and uh there's this isn't prevalent in u.s and canada but uh, you know in japan it is where you know the owner serves as the engineer of record and they retain that history and then they'll actually out they'll either do the designs in-house or they'll outsource them yeah uh, to a to a consultant but uh, but that responsibility ultimate responsibility if something happens is retained within within the company so and if you look at it you know one of the interesting ways to look at an engineer of record uh it's it's you know what are they not um i did a uh, a survey yeah and um sent that out to our our brethren uh peers and right you know they're the comments that came back were, you know, they, they, they can't possibly know everything about the TSF, which is true. Anytime you're um, involved with engineering on a, on a tailing dam, you know, you're a visitor, you're not there full time. So uh-huh. you don't know everything and uh, they're not the last person you call. They should be integrated into the process. Um, they're not kept in the dark. They're really part of a transparent organization. You know, they're not psychics. <laughs> yeah, they can't. You know, they can't predict the future. But, and they're not time travelers, so they can't go, go back in time. But, you know, they um, and they should never be a, uh, a spokesperson for the site. And uh, I think there was um, a thought in the past that they would be an insurance policy, but that's just as mm-hmm. completely impractical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know they don't they don't rubber stamp. They need to understand what's going on if they're going to put their name on it. Um, they need to take uh, have a full understanding and and if they don't they don't they don't take responsibility for it and they're really not you know because we're getting resource limited you see individuals that are almost like a seagull they fly and they flap their wings squawk kind of poop all over everything and then they and then they fly away and that's not the type of person you want you want somebody that's operating at a really high emotional IQ, they're not a flash mob, but they're really integrating into that relationship and they're understanding, you know, what's, what's happening and, and they're, they're a key part of that team. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's great. Uh, yeah, I did some project work for a mining company in Chile who had one of those hybrids where the designer was not the engineer of record. And to me, that's certainly not the most advantageous way because it a limit of information that would pass between the designer and the engineer of record and so it was to me it was a little bit of a handicap on the engineer of record for not um, having greater involvement during the design and I'm, I'm sure that the engineer of record was treated more like a paper grader you know at the 11th hour uh, when things were just about to be handed in, and that's that's really no way to have a engineer of record that's as as effective as they could be. Yeah, and well, and you had mentioned you you had mentioned Mount Polly, and I think that's the that was one of the sort of the direct or indirect takeaways from that. You had so many different designers in there with different responsibilities and different understanding and knowledge, and that really was you know coming out of that everybody went hey this this isn't working and that's where i think the really the focus on eor and you know what what is an engineer record what are their responsibilities how do you change them how do you you know that sort of thing came really came out of mount poly and that really galvanized that process and that was a yeah important event yeah to you chris if there's a mining company that's hesitant to engage an engineer of record 
and truly engage the engineer of record, not, not just in name. What are the advantages to that mining company? Oh, they're, they're, they're numerous. Um, so the engineer of record really is, you know, again, preferably outside the company, but they provide an understanding of the history of the, of, of the dam. So you have consultancies and they either provide resources or they provide, they serve as subject matter experts. So, yeah. you know, they, they sort of fill those two roles. And so on the, uh, on the, um, you know, providing a resource, they are the, they are the, the keepers of the uh, information on the dam. They understand the history from beginning to end. They're, they're, you know, they're, they're custodians of the history and they understand the design basis and how everything fits together. As a subject matter expert, they can advise the mining companies and they really have the ability to, to stand on the ladder and look at the horizon and say, okay, if you do this, this is going to, these are the potential consequences if you, if you do this. And, and tailing dams are changing every day. They, they, they are yeah. modified change every day. So if, if um, they, they help you transition from being reactive to proactive, which is a really important uh, process in, in managing a tailing dam. If you're reactive, uh, life is miserable. You're spending money just to deal with problems and, and, you know, everything's going to be, you're kicking the can down the road. If you can shift into a proactive stance and you have somebody that can guide you properly guide you through that process, what they can say is, okay, if you do this, these are going to be the consequences and they can save you a tremendous amount of money. Um, but it's, there's a whole integration process. They need to understand, you know, what the, what the mind plan is, what the, uh, tailing management plan is what uh, what the environmental uh, challenges are going to be from permitting and that sort of thing and what are the overall plans taking that all the way down to um, on a larger operation you can see an engineer of record being engaged in a weekly or even a daily basis where they're um, you know listening in and advising and it's one of those things you can change things you can provide guidance on a weekly basis and it you know it might cost you a dollar well if you if you put that off uh, down the road it could cost you ten dollars and if it gets built into the dam now it's going to change it's going to cost you a hundred if you're deposited over it it could be thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars so it's you're really making a small investment that that will that will yield significant benefit down the road yeah and that, it's obviously there's a dam safety aspects of it too which go without saying yeah yeah exactly yeah i I, I know that uh, some mining companies a few years back would hear a conversation like that, like, I'd like to see your pisometer data on a weekly basis, and they would just think dollar signs, like, no, we're okay, we'll just give it to you at the end of the year, just like always. But I think I think that line of thinking is, is really going away. And there, there was one mining operation that I used to look at their vibrating wire pisometer data daily. And yeah. most of the time I didn't charge them anything because it just takes a couple of seconds to look at a spreadsheet. And if you see something happening, then you can advise them right away. But if you waited to the end of the quarter, you might have some uh, unwanted event, not necessarily a failure, but you know something that you can't go back in time and, and correct. Well, you so, look at, um, you look at uh, instrumentation, obviously is the backbone of a, of a tailing storage facility. And if you look at any of the majors right now, they, they're, they're um, 
instrumentation systems are real time yeah. and they can be accessed anywhere in the world you know by the by the right people right and so that I mean, so that data is coming in yeah that data is coming in real time and that's that's really important you look at Brumadino I mean that was you know I mean that's collapse you know static liquefaction yeah that happened instantaneously so and the and the thing about it is if you if the problems with it with a tailing dam are, are sort of like getting a a super tanker off course you know if it gets off course you know and you've got to get it back on course and you're just a little rowboat it takes time you know you've yeah. got to you've got to push and push and push and and mm -hmm. uh they're really once they get out of out of compliance whether it's excess pore pressures uh you know then you've got to let the dam rest and then that affects your deposition mm -hmm. plan and that sort of thing or whatever you're accumulating too much water mitigating those issues are really take a very long time and you can get a dam into a very dangerous situation so it's much better to work on things proactively real time and make sure that you have proper tarps and your operators are working with KPIs key performance indicators and they understand what their duties are and they're measurable and you're looking at it on a regular basis and you have that infrastructure and that's all part of a you know a properly developed stewardship program yeah that's great and the uh, the new global tailings guideline is really helping to bridge the gap between uh, what's been and what's been done in that regard yeah I think um, you know it's interesting the global tailing standard uh, as I call it I, I shouldn't that's the old name but um, it's um, it was written primarily by environmental folks so there's a social responsibility side of it which certainly is important and the engagement of all stakeholders which is a again an important element but I think uh, on the technical side of things there's going to be some work that we're going to go through over the next many years to kind of figure out how exactly we're going to implement this thing and, and what does it mean mean to the industry and and how do we keep that going yeah 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 exactly yeah well chris this has been an interesting conversation i think we've covered a lot of a lot of ground uh during the chat and is, is there any key takeaways that you'd like the audience well, next week there's uh, uh, USSD is putting uh, USSD is uh, promoting a um, a uh, webinar. It's actually quite in, in, inexpensive, but it's called the Introduction to the uh, Engineer of Record, and it's being hosted by myself and Andy Small with uh, Clone Crip and Berger, and we're going through really what an Engineer of Record is. And we're hoping, um, we've got a lot of response. We've got 70, I think it's 70 attendees right now. Mm. I think we're limited to 100, but um, that'll play. And then we're hoping that we can build, use that form to build off, you know, a lot of the questions that need to be answered uh, in the industry, um, you know, kind of tackling, you know, how are we going to deal with, we have a significant lack of uh, qualified personnel. How do we deal with that? Yep. How, yep. how do we develop the EOR, you know, sustainability, you know, transition succession planning and that sort of thing, maybe further clarification around roles and responsibilities. So um, this is sort of the first step in a, in a process that I think will continue on. So if your audience would like to attend that, conference or that webinar we would love to have them on board 
That, that's uh, great. And I know that Pat Corser is giving, as Stantec is giving a talk on uh, the culture, corporate culture and consulting culture in the engineer of record. And that's coming up in the next few days as well. So, yeah, there's certainly a lot of certainly a lot of traction in in this conversation. Thank you very much for uh, yeah for inviting me in. That was, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, the the advantage to me of having this podcast is that I get to get a little bit smarter every time I interview somebody. We're all getting smarter every day. We've all got a lot to learn. So yeah, 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 yeah. Perfect. Okay. With that, uh, Chris, I will let you get back to your day. But thanks, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time. Keep on rocking.